0: Of the grace you poured out on us through Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being willing to go. Thank you for securing an inheritance for us and a promise for us and a new home for us. This world is not our home. Thank you, Jesus. We can say that with confidence. This world is not my home. Holy Spirit, would you convict us this morning of our shortcomings would you draw us to repentance would you illuminate the scripture to us and would it infect our hearts so that we might every day look more like you, walk more like you God that's our prayer this morning as people we love you we praise you God we thank you for Jesus we ask all these things in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated.
1: Children, kindergarten through fifth grade can go to Children's Church out the back door to my left, your right. And the rest of us will turn in our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. So, Children, tw- kindergarten through fifth grade. Man, I cannot wait to jump into the book of Daniel. We're going to be doing a book uh, series beginning today and learning about Daniel, and we're talking about Thriving in Babylon, uh, the topic that we're going to be looking at for the next couple of months. We're going to be looking at, uh, we understand that we live in a culture that is falling away from God, and how do we as believers navigate this both faithfully and prophetically into a culture that needs jesus but is far from jesus and so we're going to be looking and thinking through that over the next really two months as we look at the example of daniel we we'll do quickly want to say thank you for your prayers and, and uh messages of encouragement And uh, uh, as we were in London last week and uh, it was a fabulous trip, everything went well, we got to meet a lot of missionaries uh, and God is doing a great work in a global city of where 200 people groups live and more languages spoken in that city than any other city in the world. If you truly reach London, you can reach the world with the gospel and uh, God is just beginning to Put things in order there. And I I want to tell you more about that, but just I wanted to say thank you for the prayers. And we were certainly glad to be home, be back with our church family. Uh, I was grateful to put my arms around Franklin again after being a week away. And so um, we're thankful for those prayers and safe travel. Let's think through this. And being in that city actually helped me think think through the book of Daniel even better because as we think of a city, we think of the culture, we think of which we live, we are thinking about just as Daniel was exiled to Babylon, to a city and a culture that did not know God, did not worship God, had nothing to do with God, how do we not just live in this culture, but how do we thrive in it? So beginning in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 1, I want us to read Uh, Hopefully you can follow along in your copy of God's Word, and if not, uh, we have it on the screen that you can follow along there. This is the text of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exiles, the priests and the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim, the uh, queen mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem the craftsmen the metalsmiths, had left Jerusalem the letter was sent by Elsa son of Shaphan and Gemara uh, excuse me Gemariah son of Hilkiah and Zedekiah king of Judah had sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon the letter stated this is what the Lord of hosts the God of Israel says to the exiles i deported From Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they might bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. And when it has prosperity, you will prosper. For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you and don't listen to the uh, dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you in this place. For I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for your disaster, to give you a hope and a future. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me and search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place I have deported you from. Let us pray. God, I pray this morning as we have read your word that you would seek in our hearts a heart that is for the people of our culture, of our city, and of this place. May we be your people, kingdom citizens that live on this earth for your glory and to tell those who are lost about your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week I felt fairly comfortable in the city of London, was always felt safe, always felt like that it was easy to fit in. Uh, But from time to time there was moments that I was reminded that there were things that were familiar, but that was in a land that I didn't quite know how to do. You know, for example, immediately was reminded. Uh, when the uber picked us up from the airport to take us to the, to our hotel i mean as most of you know they they have a different right side of the road that we that they drive on you know our right side is the right side but their right side of the road is the left side and so as you're traveling and for the first time doing it in the front seat of an uber uh i was seeing that up close and personal uh oh my gosh, we're going around this roundabout, the traffic's coming the other way. Oh, oh, okay, we're turned, okay? It was a a little bit knowing that, okay, I know that I'm driving, but thank goodness he's driving and I'm not driving. There was other things, too. When I ordered a a burger with chips, I thought I was going to get some Lay's potato chips, and no, that's not what I got. I got a burger with fries, and that was fine with me, but they call chips and so there was a a difference there there was a understanding that there was something that was familiar but that there was something that i didn't quite know the ropes just yet you know it's kind of the same feeling Uh, maybe you've had it some of you who are older that would say that you've left and moved away and then come back to your family's your parents house you know maybe they've changed your room up maybe they've painted the room maybe they've change the furniture around and you say you know this is my room but i know there's something familiar about it but there's just not quite something right about it well you know this is i think how christians feel when we live in our culture today we know that things we belong and we know that god has placed us here but the world and culture is so so different And so against God and so different that we don't really quite know how we're supposed to fit in. You know, it said that, actually statistics tell us that in the 50s, almost exactly 50% of Americans attended church regularly. So you could say that, you know, uh, every other person you met was probably attending a church somewhere. But the most recent statistics tell us that today... Only about 20% of people attend church regularly. That's, that's a stark difference. I mean, that's like every 10 people you meet, you're only going to run into two people that attend church somewhere. The, the culture is changing rapidly. It's almost as if the culture is changing, in, as Christians feel, uh, so rapidly. It's like we're running up a uh, running up. A going down escalator you know we're fighting hard to kind of stick with it and stay ahead but the culture is kind of moving quicker pace than we can keep up i mean just for example eight and a half years ago both democratic candidates for their party's nomination hillary and obama both ran arguing for defending the traditional view of marriage of one man and one woman how different eight and a half years make. Uh, the culture is moving quickly, and Christians seem to not know how to engage friends and family on important issues, let alone feeling comfortable, to talk about spiritual matters and evangelize. And, and as a group, we of Christians have failed in many ways to understand how to navigate this culture and a new Babylon or a new, new culture that which we live in. We err in two different ways most of the time. We err in either assimilation or tribalism. We assimilate into the culture very readily. What is assimilation? Well, assimilation is just taking on the values of the world, the morals of the world that are so identical that there is no difference between the Christian world and the secular world. And here's the problem. I want you to hear this. When you seek to assimilate into the world, the attitude that has taken root in your heart is that you value your comfort over the well-being of the city that you're in. Let me say that again. When you assimilate, what has taken root in your heart is that you value your own comfort rather than the well-being of the city that you're in. You see, you want to take the benefits of the city rather than engage the city in important spiritual matters. And so when you assimilate, you're saying, I'm not going to upset the apple cart, I'm not going to talk to my neighbors or friends or family about anything that could be uh, misconstrued as, uh, as um, uh, something that could offend someone. Even though I know that they are dark and lost and without God, I would rather keep quiet and fit in than engage the second way that we err is this, is that we tribalize. In other words, that we get within our own group and we stay within our own group, the thing, the, comfort, the comforting group that we feel is good. And Sometimes we Christians do a really good job of that. We'll say, we're holy, we're good, we'll stick together, forget those people who differ from us. Uh, we just let the world do its own thing and we'll do our thing. But here's the attitude that has taken root that is wrong in that way of thinking. The attitude that has gone into your rooted into your heart is this. I love my tribe more than the needs of the people of the city. I rub I love my people, people who are like me, who think like me, act like me, uh, look like me and sometimes, uh, dress like me worship like me, I love them more than I love the people that God has placed us in. We don't have conversations, we don't build friendships with other people, or we don't speak into the culture to people who are different than us because it's just too messy. Yeah, I'll have arguments, yes, I'll do protests, I'll Post Instagram memes that state my opinion or a scripture that's supposed to, to put pressure on someone else because they differ than me, but I won't engage the heart of my friend who is lost. And brothers and sisters, both errors, assimilation and tribalism, go against the gospel. Because the gospel is that despite our sin and while we were sinners, christ came for us he lived among us he served us and he died for us you know this is the example in which i believe daniel exhibits in his life over the next couple of weeks we're going to learn how daniel lived a gospel-centered life where he lived for the glory of god for the people of his city so that they might come to worship god now daniel was placed into exile in babylon and just a quick thing because we're going to need to know this going forward but uh, the babylonians overtook palestine and judah uh, around 598 bc As a matter of fact, in 600 is when uh, Nebuchadnezzar led his people down into the Palestinian area. And then if you read in the book of Kings and elsewhere, Jehoiakim, who was the king of Judah at the time, uh, got tricked and allowed Babylonians to come in and set up shop into Judah. And so there was a massive taking of people that was exiled back to Babylon. Then in 587, uh, King Jehoiachin, his son, Uh, allowed even more defeat, and uh, the city of Jerusalem was overtaken. The temple was destroyed, and even more were sent into captivity and exile. And then again later we read of another exile, but the point being is this. Is that Babylon had taken over Jerusalem, had sent almost a quarter of the Jewish people into captivity. They took uh, the the elites and the monarchs and it said the silversmiths because they're going to need them for war. And the the metalsmiths and all these people. And they took them into captivity. And Jeremiah in his book, he was living during this time, was warning the people and told them this was going to happen. But then God gave him a word to send to those who were in exile. To say, now that you've been in captivity, now that you live in Babylon, now that you live in a culture that is anti-God, far away from God, this is how you should live. See, Jeremiah prophesied to this, to guide us in a way that we could bring glory to God to be faithful disciples in a city and culture, not just then, but a culture that we live today. And just as we will be examining in the next couple months about Daniel, we need to look here and see principles for a thriving in Babylon. There are three principles in which we should take and to live into a culture and a city that is against God. So here it is, number one, serve the city. Serve the city. Let me just remind you of verse 5 through 7 said, Build houses and live in them, God says. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Here's verse 7, here's the kicker. Seek the welfare of the city. I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, and for when it has prosperity, you will prosper. Here's the key phrase in verse 7, seek the welfare of the city. Your version might say something like, seek the peace of the city, seek the prosperity of the city. But actually the Hebrew word that is there, the original language, is shalom. And if you know anything about the Jewish people or Jewish language, shalom means peace, and if you were to see someone who is of Jewish faith that they leave. they'd say, uh, shalom or peace be to you. Now, that word, peace, in English, we would take it to mean uh, absence of disagreements or absence of hostility, a calmness, maybe an inner calm. But the word shalom in Hebrew has a richer, deeper meaning than that. And that meaning is greater than just the absence of hostility, But it's actually a blessing, a flourishing, a a blessing of of peace on someone to say that we bless you. We hope that there is peace, that you will will be nourished socially, economically, physically, and spiritually. It's kind of like some of us Southerners would say, bless your heart. Now, sometimes, rightfully, we say it sarcastically bless his heart, you know, something like that. But in many ways, when we say that, bless your heart, we mean something more than great riches and blessings on that person. Well, they would say, shalom, peace. God is commanding us that live in the culture that we live, that in the city in which we live, in the place that we live, the the school that we go to the workplace that we work that we would seek the welfare of that place that we would not just instead seek it for our own good and therefore assimilate we and we, not just for our people and therefore tribalized, but instead that god says i want you to use your uniqueness as the person i've created you as but also your uniqueness as someone who has founded hope and grace and mercy in my name that you can be a peace and a blessing to that place can you believe this i mean you can you believe this command that god was giving his people Uh, He was saying, go to the place who is guilty with the blood on their hands of people who have killed their family members, their countrymen and women, and who have put them in captivity. And he didn't say, hey, go seek revenge in my name. He didn't say, go and make things hard for them. He said, go and seek their welfare. What he was saying is the same principle that Paul wrote to Timothy that is same to us today. He said in first Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 through 4 he says first of all i urge you that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our savior who wants everyone to be saved and come into knowledge of truth. What Paul, what Paul is saying and what Jeremiah said is that if you are a child of God, if you are the people of God, if you know God, you are there to serve the people on his behalf. That you are to love the city. You are to serve the city that you are to love your neighbors that you are to help your friends that you are to seek and pray for and root for that city and pray for its shalom to be a great worker to be a great neighbor to be a great student to help that city prosper to pray and evangelize and do a work of the lord there Uh, let us not be confused it is not saying that you be silent because Jesus tells us not to be sons. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world, a city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights this lamp and puts it under the basket, but that, um, rather on a lampstand, and gives light for all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give them glory to your Father in heaven. It is saying that you serve and love the city in order that they say, see Jesus, and that you tell Jesus. It is that you seek their welfare because there is not just a financial welfare, there's not just a social welfare, but a spiritual welfare that people come to know Jesus through you and your service. And friends, people are doing this in church plants all over the globe. And Greenwich, which is a borough in London, uh, the new church planter there that we got to meet, they just got deeded a church. And so what they're doing is they're going to their community. And on February 8th, it's something we can pray about. They're going to their community. They're having a community meeting. And this is what their first question is. How can we serve you, the community? What can we do with this building to help you? Do we need to turn it into a, an office building that helps this community, that entrepreneurs can come and work here, and then the Christians can then come and build relationships and tell them about Jesus? Uh, is it uh, that this place needs to be a, a place they actually, many of the churches do this uh, thing for mothers as they go and actually walk their kids to school and drop off, that these mothers actually go? for tea and for fellowship and and it's kind of a community center do you need that in this neighborhood that we can come here and then the christians can come here and and befriend you and that's they're not telling them that part you know that the christians come in and befriend you and get to know you and share the gospel with you but the first question that they have is how can we serve you in Salt Lake City our church planner there Brian is doing great things to serve the city he has prayer walking areas where there is great drug use and prostitution in s- certain parts of the city and you know what's happening to those streets <laughs> the drugs and prostitution are leaving because why wow, these christians keep coming up and praying and i don't want to be praying while i'm doing a drug <laughs> you know a drug drug exchange here and so they're moving off these streets they are in Impacting the city by serving the city. And even here in Hebron, God has given us a great opportunity to serve a campus across the street where there are administrators and teachers and students who need Jesus who need love, who, who maybe have moved in from a different part of the world or a different part of the country or a different part of the, uh, the nation who are, are as dark and distant from God, and they need someone to say, hey, I'm here for you. How can I help you as you impact the next generation in education? How can we serve and love you? Brothers and sisters, for us, we cannot impact the city by assimilating or being in a tribe. We must serve our city how are you doing that? How are you serving others around you? How are you intently loving them despite their differences, despite where they are spiritually, despite how they talk or what they do? How are you serving them? Number two, the principle that we see is that we need to trust God's plan. Verse 8, it says, For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. and Don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years of Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration, plans for your welfare, not for your disaster, to give you future and a hope. Now here's what God is saying here. God warns the people that there are diviners who are preaching a false word what were they saying they said hey don't you worry tomorrow god's gonna wipe out wipe out nebuchadnezzar and god's gonna release us tomorrow so eat drink and be merry and do whatever you want to do don't worry about the culture around you because god's gonna come in and save you and just worry about yourself because god's gonna take care of us and god's saying uh no that's not what i'm saying kind of reminds me of many of the prosperity gospel preachers that we hear and see all the time that are saying uh, this is your best life now i hope it's not (laughs) because there's one better in the future but these diviners were saying, "Hey, don't worry about this. This is your best life. Don't worry about this. Just go ahead, because God's going to come and overthrow the government." Or some of them say, "Hey, we're supposed to rise up and we're supposed to defeat Nebuchadnezzar." And all these people were you know, murmuring and trying to get their own group together. And God was saying, "Don't listen to them. Listen to me. I have a plan for you. It's seventy years long, but I got a plan for you." And here's the truth and the promise of my plan. You will have hope and a future and a joy and welfare and all these things, but you have to trust my plan. Whereas this is a lot more than verse 11 is widely put on bumper stickers and coffee cups, but there is a greater joy than just an encouragement that you need to know that God has a plan for you. This is a deeper promise and a reminder that God has a plan and is sovereign over history for his glory and for his people. And here's the promise for us that even when we get into a problematic situation, you might be the only light and a dark world. You might be the only person who prays to Jesus in your office. You might be the only person in your classroom that stands up for Christ. You might be the only person uh, in your family who has ever come to know Jesus is Lord. But what I would say to you is don't be discouraged because God has a plan for you. And you need to trust him. You might be struggling in relationships, you might feel lonely, but remember God is working a plan. So when he places you in a neighborhood or in an office or in a family that is starving for the gospel, remember to trust his plan. He will use you to bring the gospel witness. That he ultimately will bring us a future and bring us a hope. And our hope and our reward is far greater than we can imagine. Because our hope is heaven, and that is our reward. And our reward is Him. So trust in God, and be faithful to His plan. Quickly, I just want to say this: that the committee, or the, excuse me, the leaders that are working in London are amazing. God has put two people, one who successfully did a global city initiative in India, brought them from India to to London, and another guy that was in another part of Europe, brought them from London. And both of them, you ask them, say, "Uh, how did God bring you to London? He said, look, we prayed that God would not bring us to London. We had a totally different plan. As a matter of fact, I to, the guy from India said, I want to get back to India. I had been, As a matter of fact, he was on our Lottie Moon offering video from India, and he said, I wanted to get back to India, but the Indian government has done some crazy things, and I couldn't get a visa back into India anymore. So I was like, here's my family. How am I supposed to serve God now? And he got a phone call. And David Platt calls you. You got to answer, right? So you say, he said, hey, you got to go, go to London. And he strategically has worked and had an example, and now he is planning things for God to do great things. But if you would have asked him and his family uh, two months ago, what is God doing? He'd say, I don't know, I'm just trusting him. I just know God has a plan. Brothers and sisters, when we're living in a culture that's far from God, and we might say, how are people doing this, and how did this happen, and what's going on here, we need to say, God has a plan. We need to trust it. The third and final principle, I'll be real quick, remember God is faithful to his people. I'll just read verse 14. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place I deported you from. Here's that simple promise. Yes, you're taken into captivity. Yes, I'm going to put you in all the places in the world. Yes, I'm going to put you away from your family. But here is the truth, and this is the greater (laughs) eternal significance of a better phrase of verse 11 and verse 14 that we need to hear today is that God does not abandon his people. In spite of their sin, God was relentlessly faithful to his covenants regarding Israel's future and its promised Messiah. And God did not abandon them, and God will not abandon us. And just as he is the theme of the Bible, God is scattering with a promise to bring us back together. From the beginning of time in Genesis, what does God tell Adam and Eve? Go, go multiply over all the earth. Why? Because he wanted image bearers to display his glory to the ends of the earth. But what happens in Genesis? The Tower of Babel. Everybody comes together. I can be smarter than God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to display people's glory, not God's glory, and he said, look, didn't I tell you to scatter and multiply through all the earth, not gather in one place? So I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to give you a bunch of different languages, then you can't talk to one another, and boom, you got to go scatter my image to the rest of the earth. What did he do next? He established a family through Abraham, so that who? The the nations would be blessed through the people of Israel and so then he established a kingdom the kingdom of Israel that the kingdom line the davidic line would bless who all nations that you were to scatter about, and that you would bless them through your peaceful reign. And then when Christ came, he established the church, and he tells his church, go and make disciples of where? All nations. Don't stay in one place. Go into the cities, go into all the world, and declare my glory Declare my grace so that people may know me and come to know me, that they can find me and they can pray to me just like you do. And then guess what? I'm going to gather you all up and you're going to be my people forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You are my people. This is my promise to you, that you will go and there will be hard times and there will be persecution and the culture will not agree with you and the culture will call you names and you will feel uncomfortable and some of you, my precious children, you will be killed even in my name. But I want you to hear this, I will be faithful to you. How do we know this? How do we know that we can be faithful to God in the city? Because God has been faithful to us. Because He took Jesus and exiled Him outside of the city and killed Him on a cross that paid for the penalty of our sins. That he was buried in a grave. Because you can't kill in a holy city. You have to kill outside of the city. And this who was led like a lamb to the slaughter died so that we might be forgiven. And those who trust in his name, those who repent and believe, God will be faithful. So as we faithfully follow him, as we live this counter-culture world here as we live, that we live according to God's word, not man's word, God's wisdom, not man's wisdom. And as we are persecuted and we feel uncomfortable, we long for that holy city. As Hebrews chapter 13 reminds us, therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. For we do not have an enduring city here. We seek the one to come. Rodney Stark wrote a book called uh, The Rise of Christianity, and he is a socialist historian, and he took to see how that Christianity went from this group of 12, this outcast of the Jewish people, to taking over the Western world. How did this happen? Well, through historical evidence, he points out that it was mainly the first couple of centuries in, in the Roman Empire that there were plagues that hit these cities. And you could read about them. And, and these plagues, this is what was written about them. They said the doctors were incapable of treating the disease. People were afraid to visit anyone. Thousands of people were dead. Nobody were able to look after them bodies of the dead were just heaped on top of each other half dead creatures were staggering in the streets these are actual historical accounts people became indifferent to the rule of morality many people pushed sufferers away people left even their own family members hoping to avert contagion so what happened christians moved into the city and they cared for them. They put themselves at risk. And they served them and loved them. And Rodney Stark, <laughs> as just only kind of a historian, would write and just kind of a throwaway line. He said, And the pagan survivors faced greatly increased odds of conversion after they recovered. <laughs> I wonder why. Because when they woke up and when they were healthy, they said, why are you Christians here? Well, you didn't assimilate. You're not here for yourself, because if you were just here for riches and money, you would just be getting the plague. You're not, we're not giving you anything in return. And it was certainly not for tribalism, because if you're going to come in here, we could wipe out people from the face of the earth with this plague. So you didn't come for either one of these. Why are you here? Well, the Christians said, we're not here for anything. We're not afraid of death. We're not, we don't need to get ahead. We don't, we don't even need to live. We're just here for you. You see, we don't live by the principle, your life is to benefit me. No, our principle is my life for your life. And that resonated a gospel longing in their hearts. Because the same Savior who gave his life for us instructs us to give our lives for others. As a result, the Christian gospel captured the imagination by 300 A.D. Most of the cities in the Roman Empire were Christian. And they didn't do it by protest. They didn't do it by overthrowing kings. They didn't do it by voting the person in because it was an empire, you know. So they didn't do that by some social way of persecution. They did it by loving and serving others. So how do we live in Babylon? Well, we serve and love our culture. We love people. We meet them where they are we tell them about the Jesus who loves them so they didn't get power by trying to get power they got influence through absolute service brothers and sisters how will you serve people in our culture how might they be held captive by the same gospel that holds our heart Maybe today that you need a new life in Christ. Maybe today you know that you're far from God and that you long for a relationship with him. One who said, it's not your life for my life. It's mine for you. I pray today that you would find Jesus and truth of the gospel, that you would be changed forever. And for his people here in Hebron and all over the earth, that we would live for his glory by living for the other and their good. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning that as we have gathered and been challenged through your word, I pray that you would help us as we seek to live in this culture and this city, that we would see an impact because we are loving others, that we're not quiet not suppressed, but we first are born for our culture and our city by having a heart for it. God, I pray for anyone here that does not know you, that is far from you, that, that longs for a relationship with you, I pray that they would hear this phrase, that you will seek me and you will find me, and you will pray to me and I will answer you trust in my son Jesus, you will be my child. God, I'm thankful for that promise. I'm thankful for your faithfulness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about salvation or coming to Christ, I'll be here. I'll turn my microphone off. No one will hear me. I'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you want to know more about baptism as we had baptism a few weeks ago, and you need to take that next step, which is just an outward display of an inward change. If you would like to know more about baptism, we could talk about that. Says so we're seeing you can come down, or maybe you say, you know what, I need a, ch- I need someone to help me because look, living in Babylon, living in this culture is hard. I need someone to help me. Well, God's giving you a church, and there's churches everywhere, but I would hope you come to Hebrew Baptist because we want to encourage you, pray for you make sure you're not doing a work alone, um, equip you, and help us as we seek to serve the city and give them Jesus. So I'd love to welcome you as part of our church family today to so come forward and start your membership process. Or if you just need some prayer, I'd love to talk to you about that as well. But what we're going to do is we're going to stand and sing. And as everyone's singing, if you need to come and move, we encourage you to do so.
2: Behold the So <laughs> 是
1: thankful that for your grace this mystery that has made been made plain and has made real to us in our hearts as we have been captivated by your love and by your son Jesus Christ may we seek to be your people your city your citizens here on earth that is far from you help us to show them what a good and glorious God there is who loves them we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple quick things before we leave. Visitors, take your completed Connect card to the welcome desk as you leave. We hope you'll grab a gift there. If you're not part of a life group, we hope that you'll join one either on Sunday morning or throughout the week. If you'd like to join Sarah or Oz, come see us after this. Wednesdays, 545, dinner, 630, Awana, youth and Bible study. And make sure you pick up baby bottles or return them next Sunday. Brother Jared, hey Jared.